Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. Uh, I am happy to be joined today by the CEO of Kemper Sports. His name is Steve Skinner, joining us from Chicago. Steve, how's it going up there today? Doing great, Al. Spring is almost in the air. Yeah, sounds like uh, it feels like I'm approaching that here in Hilton Head, and hopefully you'll all that snow will melt away at some point if it hasn't already. Where you we're getting, are. We're getting there. We're getting there. Give us another week and the snow will be gone. We'll hopefully be playing golf by uh, St. Patrick's Day. That's always our goal here in Chicago. That sounds good. We were just talking about how I played at the Glen Club, one of Kemper Sports properties up there, which is a really fascinating design that came out of nowhere. It was former airstrip turned into this magnificent golf course with the plushest bent grass you'll ever play on. So Love the golf in Chicago. Steve, uh, for those who may not be familiar with Kemper Sports uh, and yourself, could you give a background of, of the company? And um, the reason why I have Steve on today, just so everyone is aware, they didn't already know from the title of our podcast, is uh, we're going to talk about how golf properties who have maybe capitalized in the last year, there's been a big surge in participation how they can uh, continue to attract new golfers and then keep those golfers that have come to the fold. Um, but, but anyway, Steve, can you uh, just give us a background uh, on yourself? Sure. Well, uh, first Kemper Sports, uh, we've been in business over 40 years, uh, golf course management and lodging management company. Uh, we manage about 130 golf courses around the country uh, and really all types from uh, high-end resorts, uh, like Stream Song, Bandon Dunes, Sand Valley, to daily fee courses, municipal courses, and a lot of private clubs as well. So we have a broad, broad spectrum. And I've been with the company now 23 years. I've been CEO for the last uh, 14 and a lifelong Chicagoan and a passionate golfer who, uh, not a very good one, but uh, very passionate about it. So it's, uh, it's fun. And I see I've got your your bio here. I see you're one of the founders of the first tee of Chicago and, and serve on the executive committee of the so Chicago sports commission. So very much involved in that sports scene in Chicago. Um, before I, before we get down to the nitty gritty, what are some of your favorite uh, golf courses, golf experiences in the Chicago area? Well, that's uh, Chicago has got so many great uh, golf courses, a lot of old uh, private clubs, uh, obviously up to, to start with the Glen Club, which you already mentioned, but if you take away ours in the city, another one, Harborside, uh, two great golf courses right in the city. And there, there's just some great private clubs uh, up and down along the North Shore. Uh, Shore Acres is a uh, fabulous, unique setting. And uh, Chicago Golf. Medina is another great golf course, a little too tough and too long for me, but there's an endless list in Chicago. Yeah, I really like uh, Olympia Fields. And Kemper Lakes, I got to both see both of them um, host uh, KPMG Women's PGA Championships. And, yeah, they do it right up there. It's a very, very good, very mixed uh, golf scene, a lot of variety. So Chicago golf, there it is. All right. Um, so the past year, and, and I'm going to reference some data from the National Golf Foundation um, just to, to throw some numbers at some people. Year over year, there's been a 14% increase in rounds played, 8% increase in total golf participation um, with a net gain of 
close to 500,000 new on-course golfers. We're also seeing a decrease in course closures. It's still happening, but at a slower rate. So the golf industry has certainly seen an uptick in the last year. Steve, I'm curious if that trend, if you've seen that trend pretty evident across the board at Kemper Sports or mostly at the higher end places, how, how has that trend uh, affected your company? It's really, uh, it's really interesting now. It's really been across the board. I mean, those numbers are made more amazing by the fact that in most parts of the country, golf was closed for anywhere from six to eight weeks. We of our 130 golf courses, about 75% were closed during that time period of late March, April, some into May. But from June on, the participation was really just off the charts. We were 26, 27% year over year from June through the end of the year and rounds increase. And it really was all over the board. We, uh, you know, a lot of daily fee players coming out. The private clubs saw a spike, about a 10% increase in memberships uh, across the board. And even our destination resorts, while people didn't fly as much, they were driving even longer distances. So it really was a, a busy end of the year. And we've seen the beginning of this year uh, pick up in the same uh, same regard. It's really exciting to see. What do you think you can attribute to that to, and at least in the beginning when you saw a lot of people kind of take to golf? Is it just the nature of being outdoors? I mean, what what are those big factors you think that play into that? I think that was. I think for for a while there in the beginning, it was the only activity that you could. Uh, undertake that was, you know, could be with friends outside, socially distant and safe. Um, and I think that really led to, even though in the early going, a lot of places we were only allowed to play twosomes and single rider cards, people were really anxious to get outside. And I think the other thing that happened is families became so much more important and your social circle kind of closed. So it was a great way for the family to get out of their house be outside in nature. And I think we saw a lot of new people pick up the game. Uh, what we saw through our properties were a lot of beginners joining the game, playing for the first time. A lot of people that used to play uh, came back to the game. And then those that were regular golfers played a lot more. Uh, so you saw that. And, I, you know, I think the other element is the work from home uh, helped the industry a lot. We saw our most, uh, Highest utilization times, especially during the week, were between 2 and 5 p.m. As people, you know, worked from home in the morning through lunch and got a little antsy and raced out to the golf course, whether it was playing 18 holes or nine holes. So it really, uh, really was fun to see people really pick up and enjoy the game. And the NGF also in the report, big, big, uh, big rises in participation in terms of new facets of the game so we're talking about youth uh and women uh we're big risers in the game so family aspect plays right into that uh non-caucasians was also a big draw as well so a lot of different people from different backgrounds are coming to the game of golf and and that trend like you said it, it seems to be continuing in the beginning part of 2021 now that you've had that growth and participation what in terms of strategy, maybe we'll start with your standpoint from a leadership standpoint and then go into the clubs themselves. 
what's the mentality of how do we keep the people here that came? And then also how do we keep more people coming in? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I think it's a real, I think from a leadership standpoint for the industry is to have everyone recognize what a unique opportunity this is. We have spent years in the industry trying to capture people's attention and get people to try the game. And, and now we have this opportunity where a lot of people have tried and it's a big opportunity for the industry really to reset itself, uh, especially I would say among the millennial audience. Uh, as you know from past uh, research that the millennial generation is that kind of missing generation in golf and they weren't playing at the same rate as the baby boomers played when they were that age. And we saw a big spike in juniors, a big spike in millennials playing. Uh, so it really is focusing everyone's attention at the property level. I, I'm a big believer that the real growth comes from grassroots activity on the property. And it's all about making the golfers new to the game or returning to the game feel comfortable. Uh, we think instruction's a big part of that. Learning the game is, is you know, we all know we've played the game a long time. It's a very tough game and sometimes tough to learn, but it's about, you know, providing that instruction, helping people get better, and then making, you know, we may have to look to uh, change some of the things, making a little more relaxed atmospheres for these uh, different generation of players. And, and again, at the local level, making a personal connection, uh, understanding who came to play last year, inviting them back out and hopefully keeping them uh, hooked to the game. And I, and I think there's real potential for real upside because it's a wonderful game as, as we all know, and uh, it's a game for a lifetime. And if you get hooked at a early age, um, you really get the bug and you, you can't give it up. Yeah. And I know, you know, you're talking about some of the, the connection points for, for a bigger resort, like, like a band or a stream song, um, those kind of, you know, are going to keep pulling people regardless because of how highly regarded they are. It, when you talk about like just a, maybe a one, one course facility, um, one of the smaller scale properties in your portfolio, um, what, what can they do beyond, or what do they, do they have to do things beyond like the, the, you know, standard, you know, increase instruction, increase teeing options for people? Are there certain amenities that you've seen have, that have been really popular uh, in terms of drawing people? Yeah, I, th I think they do. I think it is imperative because the world uh, will open up again and there will be, you know, more competition for people's time. I mean, one of the things we benefited from and there wasn't youth sports, there weren't baseball games to go to. So it really, we became the activity to enjoy with your family, but all those things will open up. So we have to make that, you know, personal connection and again, more flexible. So it's, it's not all about 18 holes and four and a half hours. It's about, you know, nine hole rounds or even six hole loops with dinner afterwards or happy hours uh, and be more kind of flexible in, in some of our policies. Uh, and I think we'll see it continue. I think to the extent we see work from home continue, I think, you know, it's, we're changing the way we view the T-sheet in a lot of ways, you know, in a weekday afternoons used to be, you know, where you had the lowest rate and, you know, it was a twilight time and now it may be the more pop, most popular times 
we saw a lot of uh, <clears throat> in early in the day and kind of late in the day, we were uh, a lot of demand for time. So, you know, I think it's about there's no kind of silver bullets. I think it's about making that connection with the players, new and old, uh, making them feel welcome, uh, kind of meeting their needs. You know, as we talked a lot about a lot in the industry, it's about music on golf carts. It's about maybe a little more relaxed dress code. It's, you know, just a more uh, relaxed and fun vibe to uh, to the facility. Yeah. What do you personally enjoy most when, when you're heading out to a golf club? Your, what is your ideal experience? It's a great question. I've always been a, been a believer that the golf is more about the social aspect. It's about playing with friends. Um, it's about playing with family. I had a unique experience. I have uh, my wife and two kids, 23 and 21, my two kids, I've had, had them in every clinic imaginable when they were young and they played every sport but uh, golf. Uh, and this summer, for the first time, they both took up the game, both became really enamored with the game. And we played as a family probably a dozen rounds, you know, uh, nine holes in the afternoon and then had dinner. And I've told people it may be, you know, my most uh, enjoyable golf experiences I've had in my uh, career is just, you know, being out there with your family and getting them all to play. And, you know, the highlight was probably when they all outdrove me, which uh, was both the highlight and maybe low light in my career. It tells you about my game, but, uh, but again, it's all about the social aspect. And I think that's where golf has the real opportunity because it always has been about the social environment and your friends. And, you know, as social circles kind of shrink a little bit, people are nervous about being around. It really bring, brings golf to the top of the list. So to me, it's, it's less about the golf shots and more about the friends and the, the memories you're creating. Yeah. To me, I, I was also very interested. This, this is a personal kind of connection, but we, we were talking about college basketball right before this started and, you're talking about the uh, the Maui quote invitational this year that was actually in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, did you go to that event, or were you? I know you probably managed a lot of. Yeah, we did. Yeah, so that's that's an event we run. I did go. I was. Uh, we had to all be in the bubble, so uh, it was a really a surreal experience because there were no fans in the stands. We, you know, tested every day for a week before and every day while we were there, but it was. Uh, it was a unique kind of different, uh, experience for sure. Yeah. How, how different was it in terms of, you know, not going to Hawaii for one, adjusting to the, the no crowds at all to, and kind of making the teams that were there, um, comfortable because I, that this was what, this was probably two or three months ago. Yeah, it was late November. It was interesting. It was the very beginning of the season, so the, the teams were very nervous, and our, our staff did a fabulous job and really has become the blueprint for some of the bubbles. You know, it was really on lockdown. So when the teams got there, they all stayed in the same hotel. They each had a floor. They, you know, were fed on their floor. And it was just – it was a completely different environment, and it was interesting to watch the players and coaches – react because they didn't, you know, there were some buzzer beater shots and there was no one. We had some piped in noise, but that was it. And a lot of times the players were just looking around to, you know, where, where to celebrate, but uh, it was a completely different experience, but they were all grateful 
to be playing. It was one of the first times they were back playing. So they were just so happy to be playing. And the, the coaches were so appreciative. Uh, and it really kind of started uh, the trend towards you knew you could control the environment and, uh, and be successful. And we, we took a lot of those lessons for it. Actually, for the Maui, we had earlier in the year with the USGA hosted the US Amateur at Bandon Dunes. Right. The same kind of bubble environment. And so we took kind of the lessons learned there and took those uh, to the basketball tournament. And we, and we took the lessons, we, uh, for better or worse, are becoming experts uh, over the year on the COVID protocols and uh, how to handle it. And knock on wood, we've been able to keep everyone safe and, uh, and socially distant. And, and I think that's you know really where golf has benefited. Well, I know that uh, the U.S. Amateur is regarded as a pretty big success um, what, what were some of those key lessons learned from that event? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I think diligence in, uh, in testing and in protocols, I think was, was one big one. We were very fortunate. The other lesson we learned is when you test a big group of people, there was several hundred, you're going to get a few positives and you have to have planned out all your protocols is exactly what's going to happen, uh, so you're not making it up as you go. And I think the USGA really deserves a lot of credit. They did with their medical advisors, a lot of the planning along with our local team and the local health officials. So there were strict protocols on what happened if someone tested and, and the like. And again, there we had very few uh, cases. We actually, no one got in the bubble uh, with the positive case. Everyone was caught before kind of they came out to the property. So it was, it was you know, it was a great event. You know, the, the TV was great. It was a great finish. I don't know if you saw the finish, but the fog rolled in in the final yeah. match on uh, the backside of, uh, of Bandon Dunes, and it was, uh, it was exciting. It was fun to see. I did, and I actually went and played uh, out at Bandon last October afterwards. Um, awesome. So when I played that, that closing stretch, like 16-17 on, on Bandon, I was the – not a cloud in the sky, clearest day. And I'm like, I don't even recognize this from what I was, was seeing on TV. Just basically those guys were hitting into nothing and, and hoping to find their ball at the end of it. Um, and I could just see for miles and miles being up there. So it was, it was a lot different, but um, it's, it's amazing. Cool. Yeah. It's amazing what uh, golfers would go through. I was just down in Scream Song a couple of weeks ago and Believe it or not, early in the morning, because of the temperature, there's some fog there. So uh, we regularly tee people off kind of in the fog where they can't see. And they, you know, just say, hit it out towards that light. And uh, I don't know, my theory is sometimes you play better that way when you don't know what's out there. Yeah. yeah. You need a is good there... caddy. I will say, with a good caddy, you can uh, play better that way. It's kind of like the whole thing, like aim at something because you know you won't hit it, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, last question for me, and I'm just curious in, in terms of your stature and, and your position in the business as a CEO, how often, and this may be a lot because you work in golf, but how often does golf kind of envelop itself into conversations as you're, as you're striking up a conversation with another, a CEO from another company or, or property, things like that? It is. I, I always say I started my career as a lawyer uh, and did a couple other things. And I never became uh, more popular at a cocktail parties than when I got in the golf business. 
Because when you're in the golf business, everyone wants to talk about golf. They can be Fortune 100 CEO, and they want to talk about their trip or their experience. So uh, it really is. Uh, people who are into the game, as, as you all well know and your listeners know, are really so passionate about that's that what what's makes it fun about being in the business is, you know, we spend every morning talking about what happened on the tour the weekend before, what new course is opening, who went where to play. So it really becomes uh, kind of all encompassing. And that's that's why we're so excited. And this year, while there was a lot of pain, I, I should say, obviously, during the pandemic, a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And uh, we feel for all those people. And we're still not back to normal, even in our properties, food and beverage and banquet operations. But at the same time, we're, we're so passionate about the game of golf and to see new people come out and and enjoy it and be excited about it. it really gives us great hope, you know, for the future to kind of share the unique sport and, and the great fun. Absolutely. Well said. Um, thank you, Steve, for joining me today. You can visit uh, Kempersports.com to view the the full portfolio of Kemper Sports properties and see a little bit about what they do. Um, I think Steve has a bio up there too, so you can read about him and get more background on, on his career as well. But uh, Steve, thank you uh, for, for all your insight and uh, the conversation today. I really appreciate it. That's great. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. Of course.